Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to the Imperfect Podcast. This podcast is all about finding and meeting and interviewing some of the most amazing heart-centered leaders around the globe. And I'm very excited to introduce you to my guest today. She has such a beautiful name. Its origin is from Nigeria. She even sent me an audio file so I could practice. So I'm really hoping I get like at least a nine out of 10. I'd like to welcome Nkechi Noir Robinson. Welcome <laughs> to the Imperfect Podcast. Do I get at least a seven? <laughs> you get it. You get it. I'll give you a seven. I'll give you a seven. <laughs> I've been practicing, girl, like really trying. You know, it's funny. My husband didn't call me my name for two weeks. And then one day I just realized he, he was saying, hey, babe, and hey, girl. And I was like, do you, not, do you, you don't say my name. Do you, not, do you actually know how to say my name? He's like, oh, come on. Don't put me on the spot. Is this okay? Say your name again. <laughs> I was like, wow. So you, you get a seven. You definitely get a seven for trying. He well, and an, an E for effort. I've been practicing, but I just... <laughs> You are such a kindred spirit. I love the meaning of your name. It means God's gift. And I'm so looking forward to an enriched conversation with you. You are the Associate Vice President of Technology at TD. And I know you've had a journey and we had a beautiful conversation yesterday. So let's jump right in. Now, sure, let's go. we talked about kind of your goals and aspirations when you applied for your first job. And I would love for you to share for the listeners what that was and what your trajectory has been since then and how all of your heart-centered leadership traits have got you to where you are today. Sure. So in, in reality, if I think about my first job application, it would date back to like 1996. And um, the impetus for that was I needed a summer job, you know, and uh, and I thought I was going to be going to do my master's at Ottawa U. And uh, it became something much bigger than that, unknownst to me. And one day, I, I was working for Zellers. And one day, they approached me and said, hey, we're moving our headquarters to Toronto to join our, um, you know, to join the Bay, which is, you know, their parent company. And if I would like to take on a permanent job with them, and they moved me. And my parents were like, Go! <laughs> And so that was it. I, I packed up my, my, my belongings and moved to Toronto. And it was after, while sitting there, I realized I wasn't going to be doing my master's and I better start to use my university degree and put it to good use. So I approached HR and let them know I was a computer science. Uh, I was a mathematics um, um, degree holder with a minor in computer science. And they're like, oh my God, at that time, you can just imagine it was the, it was really the, the craze of technology and they were lacking they were lacking skills 
And that was it. I applied into what would be an analyst role at the time. And as I mentioned to you, the blessing, and I don't take it for granted, has um, been that there have been some really amazing humans in my life that have seen my value far beyond what I've been able to see and have continuously tapped me on the shoulder and, and directed and helped me direct my career. And so to this day, I have had, knock on wood, the pleasure of, you know, um, being, being um, of, you know, um, gifted with shoulder taps. And I've moved from, you know, Hudson Bay to Fidelity Investments to Rogers Communications to IBM and then to TD. And uh, yeah, and I got into the executive world very early in my career. And that was its own, that provided its own set of challenges because back then there wasn't, there wasn't podcasts where you can learn from. There wasn't sponsorship and, and mentorship and, and I guess there's sponsorship in a sense, but there wasn't, you know, you didn't have mentors really. You kind of watched somebody that you admired and, and tried to emulate them if it made sense. And uh, so I, when I got into leadership, I, it was really my own merit and I had to learn to navigate and I had to break a lot of cultural barriers to do so because, um, you know, growing up to Nigerian parents, there's a lot of be seen, not heard. You know, women are typically not in such high powered positions. And so, yeah, so I had to navigate all those waters through trial and error. And eventually I really found my footing and I've been driving ever since, you know. <laughs> I think you have such an infectious spirit and <laughs> There's so many, there's so many hats that you wear. You're an entrepreneur, you're an author, you're a professional athlete, you're an inspirational speaker. And I know you have a devotion to uplifting people and helping them. And you strive to let people know that they matter and, and that mm -hmm. you model that through having a purpose-driven life as you talk about. So talk to me about your message about you matter and where did that come from and what were your expectations and and how did you feel when that message went viral sure so you know and to all your listeners the one thing i've learned really big in my career is on the road or on the path of leadership and and i mean any type of leadership not even title leadership there's no place for ego <laughs> Um, in fact, my mom calls it ego got out, right? So there's really no place for ego. I, I'm not saying I'm void of ego, but I think there's a, um, a, a level of awareness that is needed. And so I share that because um, when I joined TD, I joined on the premise that I was going to, in two and a half years or so, two years, I was going to get a titled um, role because I took a little bit of a career shift uh, when I left IBM and joined TD. And I really joined the organization to drive um, an area in their technology organization that was, you know, was too junior for where TD was going. And so it was a great two years of growth for me and in an, in an amazing organization. And when that opportunity came about that I was quote unquote promised when I joined the organization, I realized that they weren't really looking my way. I, um, I started to have self-doubt and I inquired as to whether or not I was going to be given <laughs> the role. In fact, I thought it was owed it to me. That's my ego. And I got checked, you know, and I had to apply into the role and fear crept in. And I started to have all of these, oh my God, what if I don't get the role? Um, 
you know, oh my God, heaven forbid I have to now report to this person that I don't even know, right? Um, and all of these other thoughts. And, and at the same time, something on a very personal level was, was also, you know, um, a disruptor in my life at the time. And as my journey has always been, I got a shoulder tap that said, hey, there's a role that we'd love you to look at. It would have you going to Montreal and uh but you'd be perfect for the role and i took a look at it and it was actually um two prevailing reasons that i recognize in in retrospect one there was just let me just get out of the running just in case i don't get it <laughs> and then the other one was wow this would be an amazing opportunity to expand my my brand and to also expand my breadth of experience and to step out of operations and into a more business um, technology type role and start to learn a little bit about you know the business which i haven't i hadn't had the um the opportunity to yet in my career and it also took me back to montreal which would mean that i'd be able to now use my language so there was a lot of pluses but i really focused on the negative which was not getting that executive title then right and so shortly after taking that role, so stepping out of the race for the position and, and, my, and that personal collision that I had, um, a friend of, it was a friend of mine that really taught me, that told me to really check my ego because that is all she saw. Um, and I, she introduced me to this book called A Return to Love. And Mary Williamson, she actually ran for, uh, she ran for, she was in the running for presidency for anyone that knows her. And that book is, the essence of the book is all about telling the readers that there's really two emotions that we have that connect us with our true selves, which is love or away from ourselves, which is fear. And if it isn't love, then it's fear. And I got that in an instant. And I started to look at my life and I started to really imagine what it would be like if I didn't hold fear. And so I decided to see how, what would happen. And I started to rip out jealousy and shame and unforgiveness and resentment and things that I was just holding on to for years, just that baggage. And as it began to just leave me and be replaced with more of a, an understanding, um, because I truly believe understanding is the truth we stand under, you know? So as I started to feel that I started to feel light in spirit, Deb. Like it was just, just, I don't, I don't like just start to feel euphoric, like you liberated. And, and it was, it was like, I was levitating and it just started to feel so good to feel good. You know? <laughs> and I realized that what it was, it was my love that was coming alive. And I have never looked back. And in, in fact, I've gone bolder. And I think what happened was I, to your point, um, I just started realizing that I wanted everyone to feel that way. That wasn't something I wanted to be reserved for me. And I just made a declaration to, to the universe that I use me. I'm, I want to be an instrument and a vessel of love. And let's start with my organization that I'm in. And, I, and ever since then, like all of, the, all of the things that have been unfolding have been quite extraordinary. I couldn't even, like, if I sit back and, and, and were to write a book, it would amaze me that all of what has happened is, is happening, you know? Well, there's, there's so many things that I, I want to kind of frame from what you just said. I firmly believe that heart-centered leadership not only is necessary, it's required. 
And mm -hmm. I, I believe from all the leaders that I've been speaking to, not because we're in the middle of a pandemic, but all the time. So for you to be able to bring that level of agape love to your leadership, it's hard to spearhead that level of heart-centered leadership when it's not always embraced. There's mm. different countries. There's all kinds of different elements is the best way I think I will frame that. And mm. when I think about the heart-centered book that Susan Steinbrecher wrote, and she was on the podcast today, she wrote it back in 2003. And many CEOs were saying to her, you cannot put heart and love <laughs> and management under the leadership umbrella. And she said, why not? She was so far ahead of the curve, much like you were. And I think if I look at leadership, it's almost like you were an accidental leader. You just showed mm -hmm. up for work being who you are as a whole best self. And with your whole package of heart-centered leadership character traits, and it was noticed and you've mm. been promoted and promoted and promoted. And we joked before we hit record that you still like using heart emojis right up to upper management <laughs> because that's who you are. Yes. <laughs> I think we just, everyone needs the heart emoji at work. It needs to be the most used emoji. Well, and I guess I want to ask you in this volatile time, because here we are at day 82, how have mm -hmm. you kept your team? Because I think you manage, I think, you, I think if I recall correctly, about 150 people on your team. How do you keep yeah. them engaged? But more importantly, how do you keep your energy management up so that your self-care is not jeopardized? So, so that's a really great question because... I have a lot of energy and it's not that I'm, and I think there's a difference between energy and energetic. You know, I'm extremely energetic when I get like an, an, a good amount of sleep, like that my body needs, but my energy is, is from within. Like it's just, it's never fleeting. Um, and it's always available, but I've, I've recognized how much more energy I've had to expend with this whole virtual world that we're now living because it, you, you know, there's something about feeling energy in the presence of another human. And it's very different when you're on a call and maybe people are not coming on video. And so I knew from the get-go that I had to pace myself. If um, and especially started to 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 really recognize that when it looked like this was going to be a long haul kind of thing. Um, but uh, but I but the way that it replenishes is staying very consistent with some of the things that we do every single week to just make sure that we're connecting on a level that's just outside of the day to day work that we have to do. So I've been doing shout out calls with my team for a really, really long time, well before all of this, like since I took on the team about two and a half years ago. And what I did though, is I augmented it for, during this COVID period. So now we do shout out and share because now people are at home and they, you know, let's just share our hobbies and our talents. And, and it's really about um, trying to keep us connected because I truly believe it's in our shared experiences that we're more alike than we are different. And that's what I'm, that would be the sort of prevailing message that we're in this together. We truly are. I have my down days just as much as you do, but I'm here to show you how I get out of them. And, um, 
and let's stay connected as much as possible. And I share very vulnerably, right? Like I don't, if I, if I'm struggling with something, I will share it with my team in the hopes that it will then give them permission to feel that they can do the same. Well, and I think modeling openness and vulnerability is one of the best character traits of being a heart-centered leader. And I'd love for you to expand on some of the challenges and barriers that you've had over the course of your career that you would share with our listeners. Sure. So um, Deb and I had a little bit of a conversation at the beginning of the night, and I said to her that I had gone into, um, ex- you know, sort of an executive role at a very early age. So I became an executive by the time, just before I turned 30. And I was managing people that were mostly older than me. Like back then I was like the young person, <laughs> not so much anymore. Thank you, millennials. But anyway, and, um, and culturally just being Nigerian, there's a lot of BC not heard that I, you know, was instilled in me as a, as a child. And even though I've been a very boisterous personality, I've always respected my elders. And so when there's older people around, I typically give them the grace and the space to to be the wisdom in the room. And so you can imagine stepping into a role where I'm the youngest person in the room. Everyone is older than me and reporting to me. Um, And I had to, I had to, I learned the hard way, right? Like at first I would say it was really tough because I was doing the BC not heard. And then I realized that this is not working. And, uh, And so I had to overcome that. I had to overcome and this is a very transferable skill because I truly believe there are paradigms, there are, there are cultural norms, there are experiences that have happened to us years ago that still inflict our, our decision making and how we show up on today. And for anyone that I can really let you know is as much as you can leave the experience in the moment it occurred. The key is to find the lesson. What did you learn from it? And, and, you know, what in that lesson can you carry for to help others? And so, you know, it was me just recognizing that I'm not my, I'm not my culture. You know, the, my culture is just something that I'm blessed with, but it's not, it's not my identity. And, and it's important for me to find my own identity. And so, you know, that was really the, the biggest challenge I had to overcome um, just individually. The other one would be um, being black. And so, you know, that's a pretty interesting story because um, what you would know, like, especially growing up in Montreal in the, in the late seventies, you know, um, there was a lot of racism and being black wasn't seen as favorable. And so I had, you know, that created its own um, challenges and issues over the course of the year. And there's a lot of pain that I held for a really, really long time. And, um, but my parents, God bless them, never bought into it. I mean, they, they came here from Nigeria with an education. They came here to make a better life for themselves. Like they chose Canada, they weren't forced, they weren't migrants. So they came with a level of confidence and conviction in who they were, that they instilled that in my brother and I. And so I think that that was always underlying in me, which is what enabled me to continue to just press forward and, and be able to shine even through, even though I had, you know, some of those social, um, you know, challenges that were impacting me. And, um, and I share all of that because I, I recognize that that was, 
that was, there was always an essence of, or uh, I don't even know what that word would be, but there was always, I always seemed to carry some of that. Like I was like, it was like, there was two sides of me. There was that, you know, battered child. And then there was that confident woman that my, you know, and human that my parents had, you know, really uh, raised. And when I got to IBM, I, that was where I had the intersection because one day I was asked to speak on a panel and they asked me this question that blew me away. They said, what is it like to be a, a, a woman in technology? And I said, wow, I have to worry about that too. <laughs> I, was just, I was just like, my whole life, I was just like this, it was more my color than, because I was never really even, like that's one thing that black people, like especially black women, they'll tell you that back in the day that there was never, they never even looked at you as a woman. You know what I mean? So I never even, my gender was never even something that I carried on my shoulders or anything. I just, I knew I was a woman, but when they asked me that question, I literally said that on the panel and I, and I had to share from a very transparent place. I said, I've only ever really been concerned about, you know, how my blackness is viewed. But now that you're telling me that, yeah, I recognize that there are, I look around, there aren't a lot of women and there weren't a lot of women when I was going to university either. And I suddenly opened my eyes up to a whole nother challenge. But here's the thing, Deb, I chose in that particular moment to not get caught up in it because I truly believe there, there, there's work to do. There has been work done and there's great work to do, but I'd rather stand for it than stand in it. Because what would have happened is I could have just let another box define me. Now I'm a, a woman in technology or am I a black woman in technology or you know what I mean? And so I just chose to say, you know what? Let me just do away with all the boxes. I'm a human. I happen to work in technology. I happen to be black. I happen to be female and I happen to be all these other wonderful things as well. And so that's who walks into a room. And so that was, you know, I would say that that was the next and, and if you noticed, a lot of what I'm sharing with you is not the external, like there was external forces that impact me, but it was, it was my, it was how my, how I had internalized it, that it was the realization that it was for me and choosing me to get over that was probably the best decisions I made in my life. Well, and it just, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, when I think of business acumen and the knowledge and the skills and the ability, regardless of your title, whether you're on the executive team or a C-suite leader, it's not the labels. It's who we mm -hmm. are as people. It's not yeah. what we do. It's allowing ourselves to be and how you framed it so eloquently is you just, you're, you're willing to just stand for it and, and walk mm -hmm. your talk and not just have a conversation, but model that behavior. So how easy has it been for you to be a heart-centered leader and lead with business acumen? And has there been challenges along the way? And have you met with, have you had any apprehension? So I want to say no. I, and I'll tell you why, because I'm radical with my love and I've never had someone that told me don't be loving. Like I've just, I haven't had that. I haven't, um, there's more people that would rather be around me than not. And I think I, and I'm not trying to be liked by everybody. I think that that's another thing too. I'm trying to make every experience and every situation 
um, that I'm in and I'm humanly involved in unfold with ease and grace for everybody that's involved. And who doesn't want to be around that? So, you know, a lot of people have, I've been asked that question a lot of times. And, and today, to this day, I'm, I'm hard pressed to even conjure up an experience that would ha- like have challenged, you know, me leading from a place of love. I just, I don't have one. I, I truly believe that love is the antidote to, 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 to solution everything. I truly believe it. And, and I think it's important. And, and yeah, I just, I, I maybe it's just, I, I, because I walk in that conviction that no one tries. This is where I need. <laughs> this is where I need the sound effects of the mic. The mic drop. <laughs> the mic drop. <laughs> no one tries. Like no one tries. And if I can share with you, I have done some really bold things. So it was important to me because don't get me wrong, racism is real. It is. It is alive and well. You know, we need more women in tech. You know, that is alive and and well. There's so much injustice that needs to be solutioned. However, I, I, I also recognize the need to try to imagine and walk in a world where that has already been solved for. Because I think there's something about the space and the experience that you can create when you just walk from that place, when you walk without that fear, you know? And so I share that because what I've done in rooms where majority of the people don't look like me, I have boldly shared my life experiences, but they didn't know it, right? I just said, I'm going to share some experiences with you and I want everyone to stand as you hear, as you can relate to any of them. And so some of them could have been, you know, my parents are divorced. I've lost a child. I was bullied when I was young. I've been told I am ugly. I have not felt I was good enough. I have been told I won't amount to anything. I, you know, I've experienced racism or discrimination. I have like all of these life experiences. And then and a lot of times I ask them to stand as soon as they hear it and can relate to it and keep standing. By the time I get to the end of my list, everyone in the room has typically been standing. And I've done that in rooms up to a thousand people. And very occasionally there's a few people sitting. And what I do is I invite them to stand and, and, and stand in the gap of those that are standing. And I ask them to look around. And I say, you see, the reason I did this is because we all look different, all of us but we are all sharing similar experiences. And and, and it is from that lens that we're more alike than we are different. And imagine what kind of leaders we would be and whether titled or not titled, imagine what leaders we would be if, you know, everyone had these experiences that I just rhymed off blazing on the chest, like a digital billboard and we can, and you would see it. Wouldn't you walk up to that person and maybe even offer a hug or a smile or, you know, um, you would show more empathy and compassion in how you deal with them. But we walk around like we don't believe people are experiencing life or that we have shared experiences. And that's why it's so easy to ignore somebody or to, you know, send a, send a, a nasty email or to, you know, um, and not say hi or you know to to not just offer up free smiles or to to give some of the cold shoulder it's very easy when we don't have vision for you know what is what is actually possible which is that you are dealing with another human who has shared a like experience to you in their life as well and as a result of that you are more connected than you are apart so how can we work together because we're not different 
you know? Um, and so, and, and that's just a message I want to, I would love to just really leave here with everyone is try to get to know people at the level of experience is, and see where you find that connection because well, that's where, yeah. What, what if we exercise the art of stepping into someone else's shoes and maybe seeing the world through their lens mm. and mm. what if we removed judgment mm. and what if we removed comparison which to me is the number one thief of joy in our life mm. i i coach multiple executives every week and it's kind of like the box is red and you have to stand in it it's it's a generational value and what if they're different? What if it affects climbing the corporate ladder? Well, when you get to the top of the corporate ladder, you hit the glass ceiling and then guess what? It's really lonely. Yes, it is. So everything comes with a price is basically what I wanna sum up from what you've beautifully said. So what if we just stepped into that leadership role? What if we simply just did our best every day and our best is good enough? Mm-hmm. It's that minimal mindset. We don't need to have it to be fancy. We just need yeah. to be. Yeah. What a different yeah. world it would be yeah. if we all had that lens. So that's yeah. my goal with this podcast is we're going to get all these heart-centered leaders from <laughs> all over the globe talking to say, me too. It can be done. I'm doing it. I so love it. I, I love that, you know. So I want to end with my fab four. I'm going to ask you four questions. You don't get to sure. think. It's just whatever's okay. sitting and whatever's sitting on the top of your mind. This could be fun. <laughs> okay, hold on. Let me just clear my mind. Okay, I'm in Zen. Let's go. <laughs> First question. What are you most proud of about you? Woo! Oh my gosh, I know it's supposed to be quick. I'm, I'm proud of so much stuff. I am most proud that I don't, I've gone to a place in my life where I don't blame anything external for where I'm currently at. And where I'm at, I truly believe is where I, where I am intended to be. I love that. Would you define yourself as a heart-centered leader who's achieved greatness with maybe a little bit of grit? A hundred percent. What do you most love about your culture? Ooh, that it's powerful. It's rich. And I'm, I'm talking about my Nigerian culture. I was born in Ottawa, but I my parents raised us like we are from there. And I'm so proud of my heritage. So proud of the discipline that it's taught me. It's so proud of, you know, the connection it has and the relationship it has allowed me to build with, with God, because most of us Nigerians are God-fearing Christians. And so proud of, you know, just the the... I, I think it's 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 like the the volume of us. Like there's so many of us that I feel so connected to the world um, in a very um, unique way. It's very hard to explain if if that means anything. Like I feel like 
I hold that country on my shoulders and everything I'm doing is to make that country proud. Well, I, I think you're definitely doing that. It's, it's not a can be, it's a tangible reality. <laughs> if someone is just meeting you, what do you want to exude? Love. Love. I, uh, I don't even know what else to say to you. I am, I am beyond excited that I've connected with you. Your energy is infectious. Your personality is beautiful. I love that your grit and tenacity come from a foundation of agape love. I wish you nothing but continued success. And I want to thank you for being my guest on the Imperfect Podcast. And here's to uh, crossed paths and continued conversations and maybe one day an actual face-to-face post-COVID-19. Yes, for sure. And I receive everything that you said to me with grace and gratitude. And I wish so much success best for this. I just know that this, this podcast is going to do so well because it's so badly needed. So thank you, Dem, for what you're doing for this world. Well, it's my pleasure. And for our listeners, I want to end with my fab four. Follow your heart. Have passion. Do your best. Know truth. And be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow for the Imperfect Podcast, and we'll see you next time.